Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to episode two of 211's Baseball Talk. Once again, it is me, Dylan, alongside my father, Chris, who's going to be here for a limited time in this episode. We'll be back most likely full time uh, in all remaining or all future episodes. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How about you? I'm great. So, leading off will be a subject we briefly talked about in last week's episode, which was the 2019 MLB schedule, which was recently released. Now, today, the 2019 MLB spring training schedule was also released. This I was not aware of. (laughs) Now, you brought up a good point last week when we were discussing this, not on the podcast, uh, I believe it was in the car. You brought up a good point about the schedule and about certain off days for certain teams, uh, which include Friday nights. What are your thoughts on the Friday night off days? I personally hate it. Uh, As do I. (laughs) But do you Uh, want to know why? That's the key. Yeah, explain to us why. Okay, well, first of all, it all has to do with money, which anyway, this sport has everything to do with. So it doesn't even make any sense that anybody would put off days on a Friday. And the reason for that is they make a lot of their money on a Friday. They make most of their money on the weekends. Why are you giving a team an off day on a Friday? You're losing a ton of revenue. And you're not losing that revenue on a Tuesday. So if you're making them play on a Tuesday when 15,000 fans are going to come out, that's fine. Well, plus not a lot of people are going to be able to watch it at home, depending on their work schedules. On a Tuesday, no one's going to get off work work early to tune in. in. Right. Exactly, exactly. And teams are, are losing millions by having an off day on a Friday because that doesn't make any sense to me. 36, 40,000 fans versus the 15,000 you're losing when you take a Tuesday off makes total sense for the Tuesday, no sense whatsoever on the Friday. I completely, completely agree with that. I think it's ridiculous, and I don't like Rob Manfred. I think he has a lot to do this with this story. Uh, uh, and I think and it's I just, think it just, it just adds, adds on, on to, to, his, to how bad, how bad he's, been he's been as commissioner. commissioner. I think he's done he's some done good some things, but I just don't think that certain things, like this pace of play garbage, garbage and I know that's, that's completely off topic, topic but, but the pace of play stuff, he's just gone way overboard with. So. Well, yeah, I completely agree with that, and that'll be uh, talked about later on in the podcast, so stay here to hear that. Um So now we're going to move on to a segment that is normally going to be at the end of every episode. But since Chris is only here for a limited time today, we're going to move to the beginning. And that is uh, under over. So we bring up topics that we think are either underrated, overrated, or perfectly rated. And we would want to hear what uh, what the other host has to say about it. So... I think I'm the only one that brought topics for today. <laughs> I didn't even know I was supposed to. Uh, this is typically how I did my homework as a child as well. <laughs> so, beginning with the season the Oakland A's are having, what are your thoughts on how people are talking about it? Do you think that it's overrated, underrated, or perfectly rated? I think it is a conspiracy orchestrated by Hollywood to get Moneyball 2 made. That is what I think. I'm pretty sure that's, that I'm exactly right on that as well. <laughs> in, in all seriousness, though, overrated, underrated, or perfectly rated? 
I think the Oakland A's are always underrated, but I think this year they're perfectly rated because people do seem to be showing them some respect. So uh, I think they're right where they should be. They're a bunch of dirt balls, and they always are, and that, that, that's an amazing way to play baseball, I think, because it's a fun thing to watch for the fans. Uh, but I think that uh, I wouldn't call them over or underrated. I think they're right where they need to be this year. I'd say the exact same thing. I think people are talking about um, the right amount. I think that what they've been able to do this year is shocking, and I think it's it's great, and I'm glad that they're getting the media coverage that they've deserved for a while. During their playoff campaigns, and I think it was 2012 that they actually made the playoffs. That was the last time. Uh, they didn't get much coverage. Like I didn't know that the A's were in the playoffs until the playoffs had begun. So I think it's great. What, what kind uh, of baseball fan are you? <laughs> I think it's great what the media has done <laughs> this year uh, in discussing the Oakland A's. Yes, I agree. Um, quickly, we're going to come back to this later on in the podcast as well uh, when we talk about the playoff picture. Do you think the A's will be able to overtake the Astros this year? No. Simple answer, no. I think the Astros will overcome their recent uh, late-season slump, and they'll be able to mow over the A's. But the A's always surprise, so you never know. I think that the A's make it as a wild-card team, and I think it's going to be a very close game in the wild-card game between them and the Yankees. Hopefully, Manaya is healthy for that game since he is their ace, but I don't, I don't, I don't see them overtaking the Astros for the sole reason that the Astros have more talent. They have George Springer, Alex Bregman, Carlos Correa, Jose Altuve, and a bunch more depth on the team. Uh, I think they're not unhealthy right now. So I think that has kind of led to their late season slump. Okay, so that'll do it for Chris today. Thank you for joining us. I can't wait to have you back for the full episode next week. I'll have been released from my contract by then. (laughs) Based (laughs) on today's performance. (laughs) Thanks, everybody. Okay, everyone. Well, that was Chris's first appearance on the show. Hope you enjoyed it. He will be back whether you liked him or not. Um, Okay, so moving on to our next topic, which is Players Weekend. I mean, I loved it, and I've I've loved it in the, in the two years that it's happened because I think it gives a it's a great opportunity for players to express themselves. I love seeing the nicknames they come up with on the back of their jerseys. I love the I love the jerseys for the most part. I think some of the jerseys are absolutely hideous. Some of them don't reflect the team's colors and the team's history at all. But I do enjoy for the most part what they've done or what they've been able to do on Players Weekend. Uh, I also enjoyed it because the Blue Jays won a series against the Phillies, who are a contending team. Um, so I personally really enjoy it, and uh, I continued to enjoy it this year. Uh, one thing I don't like, however, is the trademark concerns, because Kevin Pillar wanted to have his nickname as Superman. But unfortunately, he was unable to do that because of trademark concerns or copyright concerns, whatever it was. I think they should give up, give the players a list of territories or meaning companies or nicknames that they are unable to use and then so they they don't ask hey can I be can I have my nickname as Superman and then just to have them tell you and have you be disappointed that hey 
I can't be Superman. Why didn't they tell me this, right? So I think that it's it's a bit ridiculous. Like, tell the players, hey, you can't use this, you can't use that. Give them a bunch of companies that the that you as the MLB are not willing to take on in some kind of copyright battle, right? But for the most part, I really enjoy Players Weekend. I love seeing the nicknames, the, the games being played on TV. I love seeing the uniforms. I think it's a tremendous part of the MLB season. I think it's a great addition, one of the better things that Manfred has done as commissioner and I hope this doesn't stop. I don't care if Manfred is no longer the commissioner for the, for all of these. But uh, I do hope that Players Weekend is something that does not stop. Because I think it's great for the game. It's great for getting more fans to watch it's on, on TV. For drawing fans to the ballpark. And also do a couple of giveaways on the weekend. Like, give away, for example, if you're the Blue Jays, give away a Danny Jansen replica players weekend jersey on a Saturday or a Sunday, right? Just so that you can get more fans. And that draws into what we were talking about, about the Fridays off, how you generate more revenue on the weekends. And I think that uh, they'll generate even more revenue than they already do because of the fact that it's player weekend. If they have quite a few giveaways going on during players weekend, uh, so yeah, so I, I love the concept, I hope it never goes away, I think it's great for the game, and overall, just a fantastic weekend it was. And we'll get into that later, about the uh, Blue Jays and Phillies series, but, uh, as our third topic, Players Weekend, I think it's fantastic. Our next topic will be, uh, the Blue Jays starting rotation, in, uh, in the sense that we're only going to be talking about the young guys, so Ryan Baraki, Thomas Pannone... Aaron Sanchez, and Marcus Stroman. Now, obviously, all four of them are probably not going to be a part of your rotation in the future. I know Pannone didn't have a great start yesterday night. Um, more on that later. But Stroman and Sanchez have been the models of inconsistency. Baraki's been roughed up of late. But Baraki's been really good, and he's shown that he can be really, really good uh, throughout the year. So, what I suggest to do is let them battle it out in September. Uh, obviously, you're probably going to have at least three of them in your rotation next year on opening day. Um, so, I say let them battle it out in September. Have a six-man rotation. You got Baraki Pannone, Gavilio Estrada, Sanchez, Stroman, whatever your rotation may be. Um... And then whoever has uh, whoever has better stats, I say you keep and you trade away um, the other two. Now, unless unless both parties have stats that are absolutely incredible, which I don't think will happen, it's still a possibility. Um, but I don't know how Stroman or Sanchez will do, and I... I can't predict how Baraki and Pannone will do. All I'm saying is I think that you keep Baraki for the long haul, but I think Pannone is a guy you can trade away if he proves that he's not going to be good at the big league level, but if he does show that he can be consistent and that he's a good major league baseball pitcher, then you keep him and uh, you get rid of Stroman and Sanchez, or at least one of them. Um... So, I think it'll be really interesting to see. I think it'll be fun for the fans to watch. And then, it'll be interesting to see how the offseason plays out, if that's uh, if that's what they're going to do. Moving on now to Troy Tulowitzki. 
Um, Tulo is injured and has been injured all year long and will not play a single game this year. Which is disappointing if you're a Blue Jays fan or if you're a Troy Tulowitzki fan. Um, but not disappointing if you're a true Blue Jays fan. As Troy Tulowitzki, since he's become a Blue Jay, has been absolutely awful. He hasn't played a full season since 2011. I just want to point that out to everyone. He's been terrible as a Toronto Blue Jay. He's had one good defensive year. Other than that, he's been awful. He's barely played in any games. And he's, he's, he has not hit. He's been good defensively. He's been good enough defensively. He's been good enough to cut it defensively. But he's going to have to be better, right? So my suggestion, or actually, sorry, before I get to that, let's get to Tulowitzki's comments on the weekend. He's saying that he's the best defensive shortstop in the game, which he's not. And he's saying that if there's someone better, he may as well just pack his bags and go home, which I completely disagree with. Troy Tulowitzki should not be saying that. It's cocky. It's rude. Lourdes Goriel Jr. and Bobo are both better than Tulowitzki. They will be better at the big league level if they aren't already. Okay, so Bobo Lourdes Goriel Jr. will be your future shortstops. One of them will play at second base. The other will play at short. I think it's insanely cocky, rude, and ridiculous that Troy Tulowitzki said the things he did. He has not shown over the past seven years, since 2011, that he is the best defensive shortstop in the game, that he is one of the best offensive shortstops in the game. He has not done anything at all to prove that. And I think his comments were awful. Now, here's what I think. And I and by the way, he said that he's he his he's a veteran who brings leadership, so his veteran leadership should not be uh, kept out of the clubhouse. Well, Mister Leader, you better start acting like a leader. Like, come on, leaders don't need. And Sid Sixero said this on Tim and Sid. Uh, for those of you that are, for our American listeners, um, he said on Canadian show that they have on Sportsnet, uh, that leaders don't need to state their status as a leader, and I completely agree with that. If you're truly a leader, Troy Tulowitzki, then you should not have to say, I'm a veteran leader and I will be needed in this clubhouse. You should not have to say that. That means that you're clearly a clubhouse cancer or something. But you bring nothing to the clubhouse at this point. I thought you were a leader, but clearly you're not after those comments. You can't really do anything with Tulowitzki. He's getting paid $20 million a year, and he signed through, I believe, 2021. Here's my suggestion. For now. Um, until Kendry's Morales contract, contract expires. I say, you keep Tulo... You ask him to DH and play half the games at shortstop. You keep Kendrys Morales for one more year, obviously, and play him at first base. Tulo's your DH. You have Morales at first, and then you put the rest of their ki- rest of the kids at their positions. You put Guerrero at third, Bichette or Guriel at short, Bichette or Guriel at second, and you have Morales over at first. And putting the kids at their rightful positions includes Kevin Biggio in the outfield. Now he's always been an infielder, but. I'm interested to see how he's going to fare in the outfield because I think that's the only spot he really fits in. I don't I don't want Kevin Biggio to be playing first base. So I think that's the only spot he really fits in on the team, especially since you acquired Chad Spanberger, 
who is a first baseman, a power hitting first baseman at that. I believe he's hitting he's hit 27 home runs and has 90 some odd RBIs this year. So I think Kevin Biggio in the outfield is the right way to go. You keep Tulowitzki since he since he thinks he's such a big shot. Tell him he's gonna play half the games at shortstop. Maybe don't go through with that. Make him want to leave. Make him request a trade. Find some way to get rid of him or make him retire. For the love of God, Tulowitzki, you're not good anymore. Retire, okay? He needs to realize he's up. He's probably a future Hall of Famer. He's 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 had a tremendous illustrious career, but his career is over. He's been battling injuries since he's since he was acquired as a Blue Jay, so I think it's terrible, absolutely awful, that he thinks he's still one of the premier shortstops in the game. So I say you put him as a DH, you put Bichette, Guriel at short, and whichever other one at second, trade Devin Travis, or keep him as a backup or something. Moving on to the recent series for the Blue Jays. They faced the Philadelphia Phillies on Players Weekend and the Baltimore Orioles. They're in the middle, they're in the midst of a series against the O's. Um, so we'll begin with the Phillies series, which was a pretty good one for the Blue Jays. Morales stayed hot. Of course, that streak did come to an end. Um, Ryan Baraki had a really good bounce-back outing against the Phils, which I I was so happy to see. Baraki's probably one of my favorite players on the team this year, if not my favorite player on the team this year, given the success that he's had and given the fact that he's probably going to be here for a long time. So I am thrilled that Baraki had a bounce-back outing. Um, and Randall Grichuk was in a slump before that uh, series against the Phillies, and he seems to have come out of it, which I think is great. Um, they played really well on Friday against Arietta. continue. Grichuk continues to have insane numbers against Arietta. One of the he's got better numbers than most people in baseball against an arm of Arietta's caliber. Um, great offense in the second game. Fantastic to see a comeback. Aledmus Diaz stays clutch for the Blue Jays this year. Um, Billy McKinney and Danny Jansen continue to show why they are big league players. Uh, and they're here to stay. Which I really enjoyed to see. One thing, though, on Sunday, in Sunday's game, was... We weren't good, right? Estrada was terrible. But after Estrada, Justin Schaefer came in, a guy that they had just recently called up from AAA Buffalo. Guess what he did, if you didn't see the box score? He pitched three scoreless innings in relief, throwing only 37 pitches, which is extremely efficient for three innings. And he only walked a batter, didn't allow a hit, didn't allow a run, it was it was a tremendous relief outing. And guess what they did? The very next day, right before the Orioles series, they sent him down. Sent him down to AAA and called up Murphy Smith. Smith had a great first appearance in the big leagues, and I was happy for him, especially for a guy that's been in the minors for a long time. But you can't demote Justin Schaefer after that, especially with the fact that he tried to keep you in that ballgame. He kept you in the ballgame for as long as he could. And then the relievers, except for Tyler Clippert after him, did the same thing. I think it's absolutely ridiculous and ludicrous that the Blue Jays sent him down. He has not all, he didn't allow a run while he was in the big leagues. He allowed very few hits 
while he was in the big leagues. And then you demote him? For Murphy Smith? That is ridiculous. I, I think it's terrible. He deserves to stay in the big leagues. It's an awful decision. And they're going to have to be better with those types of decisions in the future. In the Baltimore Orioles series, as I mentioned, Murphy Smith got called up and he pitched his first big league game. He, had, he made his big league debut on Monday night and he pitched a scoreless inning. The Blue Jays could not solve David Hess and they have not been able to. I mean, Kendrys Morales was the only one that drove in a run the first and last, or the first and previous time they had faced Hess. Um, I'm not. I'm not understanding this. I mean, it's clearly not that difficult to figure him out. He's he has a 5.08 ERA and he's three and eight, and that is after the six shutout innings he pitched against the Blue Jays. So, what's going on? Why can you not solve David Hess? I mean, the Orioles made adjustments and solved Panone yesterday. So why couldn't you solve David Hess? He's not that great of a pitcher. Let's be honest. A 508 ERA is nothing spectacular. It's nothing good even. So how are you still being shut out by David Hess? He's pitched 13 innings in the past week against you, and he's allowed one run. That is terrible. Like, this team cannot make adjustments. I don't understand. Anyway, moving on to yesterday's game. Um... Not a great outing by Thomas Pannone. But honestly, I wouldn't think too much of it. Because he faced the same team for the second time in a week. I don't care that the team is the Baltimore Orioles and you expect him. He's a, he's a young pitcher. It's his second big league start. And both big league starts just happen to be against the same team. So I think it's tough for him in that situation. Over the course of seven days, he faced the same team twice. They, they at least can make adjustments. Clearly the Blue Jays cannot. But they can make adjustments. So I wouldn't think too much of the Pannone start. I expect him to bounce back in a very strong way. Um, so I, 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 don't, I wouldn't think too much of it. Murphy Smith came in relief yesterday. And he allowed, I think it was three runs. Maybe it was two. Maybe it was even one. But he allowed runs. And you don't want that out of your relievers. You want your relievers to shut lineups down, and that's exactly what Justin Schaefer did against Philadelphia, a team that's contending. Unlike the Orioles, a team that's having a record, a record season for all the wrong reasons. Justin Schaefer should be in the big leagues, and I will continue to reiterate that until he makes it into back into the big leagues. Murphy Smith had a great first game, but then he could not pitch in the second game. I don't know if that's because he's not good in back on back-to-back days. I don't know why it is, but all I know is that Justin Schaefer should be a big league pitcher right now. Randall Gritchick, however, last night, he has destroyed the Orioles this year, as he should, and as the rest of the Blue Jays lineup should, seeing as it's the Baltimore Orioles. Gritchick went 4-for-5 last night with a home run, 3 singles, and 2 RBI. He did his best to keep the Jays in the game. They just weren't scoring. It was literally him and Justin Smoke that scored all the runs. Terrible showing. And it, I'm shocked. I'm baffled that they could not solve that Rodgers guy. <sighs> yeah, this team this team frustrates me. However, tonight uh, they take on the Orioles again at 7.05. And the lineups were announced a few hours ago. Uh, yeah, a couple hours ago. They actually 
start in 15 minutes on the dot, the game will begin as it's 6.50 p.m. Eastern time when I am recording this and saying this. The Blue Jays lineup uh, reads as follows. McKinney leads off. He's playing left field. Guriel batting second, playing short. Batting third, Justin Smoke. He's at first. Kendrys Morales, DHs, and bats cleanup. Randall Gritchick is batting fifth in right field. Kevin Pillar. Batting 6th in center, Russell Martin. Batting 7th in catching, Aledmus Diaz. Batting 8th at 3rd base. And Devin Travis batting ninth at 2nd base. And Ryan Baraki takes the hill for the Blue Jays. So hopefully he can be just as good as he was in his last start. Uh, for Baltimore, no Cedric Mullins again today. They're, apparently they're just being cautious with his apparent injury to his hip. I uh, was not in the lineup yesterday. Came in as a defensive replacement. Interesting to see if they use him as a defensive or offensive replacement tonight, or maybe as a pinch runner. Uh, but interesting to see that he's not in the lineup again. Buck Showalter said it was purely because of his hip yesterday, so I assume it's the same reason today. But the lineup reads as follows. It's Jonathan Villar leading off, playing second base. Craig Gentry batting second in left field. Trey Mancini batting third and DHing. Batting fourth is, is uh, sorry Adam Jones. In right field, Chris Davis bats 5th at first base. Tim Beckham batting 6th at shortstop. Renato Nunez batting 7th at third base. Jim? John Andrioli? John Andrioli. For, for some reason, I keep calling him Jim. I want to say it's Jim, but I think it's John Andrioli. He's in center field. And then Austin Wins is catching and batting ninth. Alex Cobb with a Terrible record of 4-15 and 15, takes the hill. Been pretty good of late, however, as he's gotten the change-up working. He did not have a spring training as he was a late signing by the Orioles. Anyway, so that's that wraps up the Orioles series and their the lineups for tonight. We'll probably we'll talk we'll talk about it some more for sure. Uh in next week's episode. Tomorrow the Blue Jays have an off day before I believe they head. I'm not even gonna guess, it's probably wrong. Um, so our next topic will be pace of play. Look, I like the concept of pace of play. I do. I like the, I like the fact that baseball is one of the longer games, not as long as football with their commercial breaks every two seconds. It pains me to watch it. I love the sport. I hate the commercial breaks. Um, I like pace of play. I think the game could be sped up a little bit, but I think it's gone way, way too far. You cannot have the batter not being able to stand out of the batter's box in the middle of an at-bat to, to get signs purely because it's going to take him too long to get back in. He has to have one foot in the batter's box. Ridiculous. The pitch clock, crap. I think it's stupid. I think that it should not be implemented. There are other ways to make the game faster. Um, I think... And the, the worst part is the thing that really, really make me mad if it somehow finds its way to the big leagues. The thing that they have going on in the minor leagues right now, that they're testing out in the minors, where in extra innings, you have a runner start at second, and at times, I might be mistaken, but at times you can have a runner, runners at second and third, or maybe first and second, not too sure what it is. I think that ruins the game. Absolutely ruins it. It's terrible for the game. It should never have existed, and it should never find its way to the MLB. 
It's awful. I don't care that you want to make the game faster. Those are your own preferences. There are people out there that enjoy the game just the way it is, and I personally am one of them. And so so are three-quarters of the people that watch the game, that love the game. They like the game just the way it is. There's nothing they want to change about it. It's ridiculous, absolutely insane, that you want to put a runner starting an inning at second base, at first base. How did that runner earn that spot? He didn't. Baseball, in baseball, you earn your spot on base by getting a base hit, by getting an extra base hit. That runner didn't do absolute crap to get there. Okay? So that needs to be taken out of the game as soon as possible. Ruins the integrity of the game, ruins the game altogether. It's frustrating to watch. It's bad for the game, and so is most of this pace of play BS that Manfred has, inf- has, has implemented. And our final segment of the day is the playoff picture. This was updated right before we filmed or recorded the podcast, so it's probably wrong by the time you're listening to this, but it could be right if you're listening to it right about now. So Boston and New York are in a two-team race for the AL East with the Rays somehow pushing. They're not... They're nowhere close to the division lead, but they do have a pretty good record. So, Boston is six and a half up on the Yankees. Can the Yankees catch up? Obviously, they can. It's a possibility. Do I think they will? No. I don't see the Red Sox going on a 10-game skid. And I don't see the Yankees going, I don't know. 9-1 9-1 and one in 10 games, and in a 10-game stretch in which the Red Sox are having a bad 10-game stretch. Or 10-game losing streak, even. I don't see it happening. I think it's certainly a possibility. I just don't see that. I don't see the Red Sox slowing down anytime soon. I think they're a well-built team, a very strong team, and I think that they're going to come out with 110 wins at least this year. So I don't see I don't see the Yankees catching up. Not not much to say about the AL Central. I mean the Indians have a 13 game lead there. Uh it's ridiculous how bad that division is. The second place team is under 500. If the Jays were in that division, their season changes dramatically. Unfortunately, they were not. They are not. The Indians are the only team to talk about in that division purely because they're the only good team in that division. And they're only good because the teams in that division are absolutely awful. The Royals have the second worst record in baseball. The Tigers aren't much better and the White Sox are still terrible. They're a couple of years, maybe a year, away from playoff contention again. The Twins kind of shocked me with how bad they've been this year. But in a way, they didn't because it's the Twins, and I didn't really expect them to make it far. But yeah, the Indians are 13 games up. They're like on the verge of clinching. There's no way anyone else catches up anytime soon. Um, in the uh, in the AL West, it's a lot more interesting with the Astros only being a game and a half up on the A's for first place in that division. 
I think the A's come very close. I think they're within a game, two games, three games max out of that division by the time the season wraps up. I see the A's making it into a wild card spot. And I, I, like I said earlier in the podcast, I can't predict who's going to win that game between the Yankees and the A's in the wild card because I think it'll it's too close to call. Both teams are very stacked offensively. Um, and Sean Manaya is a dominant starter. Uh, and the Yankees have a lot of starting pitching depth. The problem is, you're competing for a spot to face the Red Sox. The only team that beats the Red Sox, in my mind, is the Astros. Now, the Indians, almost, they, they split a series with the Red Sox, which, which shocked me. But the only team I see beating the Red Sox in that wildcard race right now... I, actually, I don't. I don't see one in the wildcard race. I see one in the league. One team in the entire league, and that's the Houston Astros. Um, the winner of that division, however, which will most likely be Houston, in my opinion will most likely beat Cleveland, who's having a good season because of their bad division. So they, they, they'll they make it to the ALCS just to face Boston again, unless Houston somehow gets the wild card. So I, I, the only team I see beating Boston is Houston. Therefore, I see Houston winning that division, especially when they get Springer back and healthy and everyone is at 100%. Uh, in the NL East... Uh, the Braves and the Phillies are in two two team race right now. As the Nationals are shockingly awful, talked about it in the first episode of the podcast about how Mike Rizzo screwed up this team, um, and how Mike Rizzo is the only person to blame in this situation. Um, the Braves are four and a half up on the Phillies. I was listening to Inside Pitch with Casey Stern, and I believe it was Brad Lidge today. Uh, Casey brought up a good point that the winner of that division, their manager's probably going to get manager of the year. Brian Snitker and Gabe Kapler have been doing a tremendous job with their ball clubs in their first years. Well, Snitker, I think, is in his second year, technically first full season. But I think it's been great what they've been able to do. Um, I think Atlanta wins the division. I think Philadelphia has dug themselves into too deep of a hole, even though both teams are very young and very, they could very easily slip up and fall out of the uh, division lead. Uh, I think Philadelphia makes it as a wild card team. I don't. I th- I expect the Cubs to be the only team that, the only central team that makes it to the playoffs. Honestly, I do. Maybe we have a game one sixty three, however, uh, in which I see AL West or NL West, sorry, uh, teams coming out on top, and I believe I called it. I called the Cubs AL Central, NL Central there. Um, so yeah, I, I expect to see a couple, maybe, game 163s. As I'm just getting news now, the Blue Jays' Marco Estrada and Kendry's Morales have both cleared waivers. So that's an interesting development. Can we see those two being moved? I wouldn't move Morales. Estrada, get rid of him. Get rid of him. Give Reed Foley another shot in the big leagues. Like, come on. He faced the Yankees. He got lit up. Who hasn't gotten lit up by the Yankees? Um, except for everyone. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I see Atlanta winning the division. I see Philadelphia coming in 
Second, I see possible game 163. Um, Atlanta, I see winning the NLDS over any NLS team, the chat or whoever wins that division, which we'll get into in a couple of minutes. But yeah, I see them making it to the ALCS and falling short to the Cubs. And that goes into my next pick for the NL Central, which is the Chicago Cubs. No other team has really made me change my mind. Really, three other teams are in contention, but I think they're too far out or they don't have enough depth, not enough skill to make it on top of that division. There's a possible game 163 that could happen between an AL Central team and the Phillies or an AL Central team and an AL West team, or maybe I. it's a possibility that there could be two game 163s. I don't know if that's ever happened, but uh, I think it has. Um... But yeah, it'll be really, really, really interesting to see. Be the Cubs, Cubs in that division by a long shot. I don't see any other team coming close to beating them for that division. It's like the uh, AL Central, in which the Indians are running away with that division. I think the Cubs are doing the same. It's just the other two teams are still in contention. They're just too far out. As the Cubs are currently leading by the same amount that the Braves are four and a half. But I think that the Cardinals and the Brewers and the Pirates are not going to catch up to that. Especially the Pirates. The Pirates are going to be eliminated within. Two weeks. Um, now into the probably the most competitive division in baseball, the NL West. I expect it to be a four-team race this year between the Giants, the uh, Dodgers, Rockies, and Diamondbacks with the Dodgers coming out on top and Diamondbacks getting a wild card with one of the NL East teams. Oh, boy, was I wrong about that. And the fact that the Giants are uh, terrible. They're an old team. They gave extensions to all their old players that won them the World Series. And I guess having a World Series win kind of gives you the credibility to get an extension. But they gave it to players that are now old and they can't get rid of them. And I think that's really hurt them. But the Diamondbacks and Rockies are tied for first in that division. Uh, Only a game up on the Dodgers, who I thought would be in first and running away with the division by by this time. Um, Arizona. Arizona wins that division. I think they do. Honestly, it might be too close to call at the moment, but I do see, for now, I do see Arizona winning the NL West. Uh, I see the Rockies coming in uh, in the wild card with the Phillies. Unless we need game 163s, in which I think there could be two NL West teams involved, maybe two NL Central teams. But yeah, I think there are two game 163s that could happen, and I think that um, that the Rockies do, or who I think the Diamondbacks win that division. I think Rockies and Dodgers can battle it out in a game 163, and then wild card game against Philadelphia. But yeah, so that was the playoff picture update. Another under over topic that we did not talk about, I don't think we did at least, was Alex Bregman. Bregman is severely underrated, in my opinion. Um, He brings a lot to the Astros ball club with the bat and with the glove, which I don't think people give him enough credit for. I think Bregman is a key part of that offense, a key part of that defense, a key part of that team. He's a leader. He knows how good he is. 
And it's not to the point where he's cocky like Troy Tulowitzki is, not knowing that he's not one of the premier shortstops in the game anymore. I think Alex Bregman is a very underrated player. And I think that we got to start giving him some credit and some more attention than we've been giving him. So anyway, this has been episode two of 211's Baseball Talk today. Chris premiered. We talked Jays. We talked around the MLB. Uh, We'll be back next Wednesday on Anchor and most likely sometime on the weekend for all the other podcast apps.